0: On this week's episode of the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I share my interview with Sean Handerhan. Each week on the Shut Up and Build Bikes podcast, I get on the phone. I talk to somebody in the bike frame building world, and uh, this week it's Sean Handerhan in pittsburgh pennsylvania so uh sean and i've been buddies for a year or two now through the internet i uh and and so i wanted to get him on the show as uh, more of a, a a peer you know someone who's who's up and coming rather than like one of these industry veterans uh, i think he's going places i think he's very talented and uh, he's been building bikes and he works in a cnc prototyping machine shop and um here's the interview
1: yeah so in high school, like uh, sophomore year of high school or something, I got a job in a bike shop, you know, 10 minutes from my parents' house. And I was just doing, you know, sweeping the floor and wiping the windows and cleaning bikes and that stuff. And then the next summer, you know, I got to actually start working on bikes and I learned that the shop owner's husband had a frame, like he had a welder and a bunch of fixtures and a milling machine, like in our little storage area next door, so he was all excited about it. I was like, he was super into it. Uh, and he offered, uh, actually I don't really know how it came about, but he was nice enough to offer me and the other mechanic to like show us how to do it so we could make our own bike. So that summer, you know, he, he showed me how to make a bike and I made uh, a road bike for myself that I still have. And it's like my, still my road bike, which wow. is, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. And then I went back to school, like that was my freshman year of college. So I went to school and then for the next two summers, I was still working at the bike shop. I don't know if I, I don't think I built any more frames after that first summer, but in my head I was like, whoa, this is super cool. I want to, I want to get to a point where I can, I can do this at some point. So like all, all through college, I was in my my head. I was like, I want to get to a point where I can go back to doing this. And in my head it was like, get an engineering job so I can afford to pay for a place that has a, a nice garage and then I can outfit my own shop. Like that was kind of the plan the whole time. And then graduated college and... Well, we should go back. In college I worked with the human powered vehicle team and we built these kind of recumbent bike things. Wow. And the one year I just welded the frame for them. I was like, I don't want to be involved. This is, this is like it was I didn't have enough time or whatever. So I helped them weld the frame and then the next year, it was like my senior year, so I did the it was like our, our big, you know, design project and my big design project or the team I was on there's four of us. We designed like the the drivetrain for this bike and it was it was a front wheel drive train. So your pedals were on the same axis as uh, the front wheel, kind of like a, like a kid's trike. Um, and it mm-hmm. had two chains and a drive train, like all up on the front there. Um, so the, the pedals, even though they're on the same axis, they could they could spin independently of the wheel.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and it had like a seven speed, like mountain bike drive train that all just kind of stuck off the front. Uh, so we did that and that was like, uh, I thought that was super fun. And then sort of senior year, graduated, got a job in a steel mill in Pittsburgh in the maintenance department, which was super cool. Like,
0: well, That's like the most Pittsburgh job it. you can get.
1: <laughs> I know. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, it wasn't like the steel mills that built the city. It was like the type of, we, it was like a, they made like huge stainless steel tubing. Like it took flat roll and then they brought it through all these forms and, and then welded it. Uh, I guess that's like not the traditional steel mill that Pittsburgh is built on. That's like like kind of like a post-process thing but anyway it was cool uh i only stuck or ended up only sticking around there for six months oh well while i was at the steel mill there was a maker space actually only a few blocks from my house that was going to open up and they were going to have a welder and they were going to have bridge ports and they were going to have a wood shop they're going to have all this stuff so my plan wow. was just to stay at the steel mill and keep working you know do my engineering thing and then get a membership at the uh, a space and start making bikes there. That was my plan. And then one of my buddies who works at the machine shop that I work on, I work at now was like, Hey, John, the boss is, you know, he's, he's looking for people and I know you don't really have any actual machining experience, but we think you'd be a good fit. So you should send John your resume. And I was like, all right, whatever. So I sent him my resume and, uh, you know, then had an interview and all that and it went really well. And one of the big, perks that John offered, was like, hey, with the job, it was like, you yeah, know, we'll pay you this much. I know it's like a lot lower than what you're making now, but you will get access to all the machines, like all the Bridgeport and the welder and all the CNC machines for your personal stuff on the weekends. So I like thought about it for a grand total of like a day and was like, all right, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. So I quit <laughs> the engineering, well, I quit the quote engineering job. It was, I don't know if it was like fully engineering, whatever it was, I quit that uh-huh. job, moved to the machine shop, and have been there ever since. And literally as soon as I got to the machine shop, I started, uh, I already had the design made for my frame fixture and my chainstay mitering fixture and all that stuff, because my plan was like, as soon as the makerspace opened, my plan was to like crank all that stuff out. So I had all the designs ready. Um, but as soon as I got into the machine shop, and as soon as I was up to speed on the milling machines, I uh, started cranking out all my tooling, but my frame fixture and the, and the mitering fixtures and all that, and then got to work on the first frame that was 2018 I think yeah and then I haven't really thought about anything else ever since then that's been like the only thing I've been thinking about
0: yeah no I can see you're very busy with that work Uh, it seems like you're I I don't know what your actual work schedule is because I'll see it'll be like a weekday morning or something you'll be working on frame building you'll be posting pictures about it or something but it just seems like you just live and breathe that which is so cool
1: It can be a little tiring, but, uh, it's, it is fun. Like, I mean, I don't have kids or, I mean, I got a dog, but he doesn't Uh need much. I don't have kids. I don't own a home. So it's like, and you know, we're all locked down. I can't go see friends. It's like, I don't really have anything else to do. So might as well do this, but work schedule wise, I officially work four tens Monday to Thursday and then, um, usually do bike stuff on like Friday, Saturday, but usually ends up being less than 10 hours every day. And then I, call it a little early and either go ride my bike or do a small frame building task. So I don't have as much to do on the weekend.
0: Yeah. So uh, the machine shop that you work in is like a prototyping machine shop. And I want to talk about that some more uh, later in the episode or in the interview here. But yeah, so you, you worked at a bike shop, you saw that the the owner or manager uh, had some frame building stuff and that piqued your interest. You had done it some, and now you've built 20 some frames by now. Uh, I think like 24, 25, maybe. That's awesome. That's more than I built.
1: <laughs> like I said, I haven't been doing anything else for the past two years. so.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it, it I don't know if people who haven't built bike frames realize that. I think it really, it's a matter of, in my opinion, it's a matter of momentum. It takes a long time to really get rolling because in the beginning you have no experience. And so if you want to make something worth a damn, you just have to pour so many hours into it to like, Fixing things, or just practicing your welds, or whatever it takes to make it happen. You don't
1: realize, you don't realize, like the first frame. You're like, "All right, I got all my tools. I'll be good to go." It'll take me a couple weeks, and then you get like ten percent of the way through, and you're like, "Oh, I need this tool." And then you're like, "You make that tool," and that takes you a whole day. And then you get going again, and then you're like, "Ah shit, I need this other tool that I still don't have." So then you Mm -hmm. go make that tool, and it just takes takes a long time. Like, well, if you want to go the tooling way, I suppose like you could just use a file and hacksaws or whatever, but it's like, I don't know, I'd, because I had access to all the tooling and that was the way I was taught. Like uh, the guy that taught me at the bike shop, he, uh, you know, he had a milling machine, all the fixtures. So that was kind of the way I planned on doing it the whole time. And it's like, when yeah. you have access to CNC machines, it's like, why wouldn't you make your own nice tooling? Like, yeah, might as well.
0: Yeah, no, that's the fun of it. I I noticed that for myself that the more machinery I got and the more capability I had to make tools, the slower I got with building bikes. And I think it would have circled back around where I would have eventually gotten more efficient. But like... When there's a hundred thousand tools that you could make and when every bike is a little bit different and has a different set of considerations and a different set of needs and oh this one's flat mount needs a fixture and this one is the candy boss fixture and this one i should make a chainstay dimpling you know smooshing form that does this and like ah the first one didn't work very good i should rethink that and it's just it seems like when your only option is to just cut stuff with hacksaws and hand files and glue it together with some bronze there's only so long you can really spend on that. And when there's tooling projects, it seems like there's, there's just always more to do.
1: Yeah. I think if you're in your head, like if your goal is to make like a frame for yourself every few years, it's totally not worth doing all the tooling thing, but if you yeah. want to be making, you know, it's just like, you'll never, you'll never realize the return of all that time invested in making all the tools. And yeah, you know, you can make, you can make a perfectly good bike with files and hacksaws. It just, it'll take you a little, it's just like milling, like a block with holes on it on the bridge for Like you can, if you only have one to make and you know you never have to make another one again, it's definitely faster to do it on the bridge for than to set it up on the CNC machine, like do the programming and load all your tools and all that. But like, as soon as you got to make more than one, if you got to make three, mm-hmm. it then becomes worth your time to set it up on the real machine. Cause then you can just crank them out. And then like three months from now, if you got to make more, you can do that again.
0: Yeah. So uh, I
1: think working in the machine shop is definitely uh, like made me think about the frame building process in that same way where it's like, well, if I spend the time on it now, it'll save me time. Like the next time I have to build a frame, this process that usually takes me an hour will take me 20 minutes and yeah. Worthwhile, I guess.
0: I always think about what I think Dave Harrison said on this podcast about working at FBM or Spooky, or one of those shops he had worked at, somebody had said, you know, you should basically be able to throw a tube across the shop and it should be, like, mitered and land in the fixture, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> Figuratively speaking, that it should just... You should have a process where it just flows. And I think about that with the stuff that I make. You know, it should there should never be a point where it's like, oh, this is going to be a hassle, or, like, this is going to take a lot of time. Yeah. It should just kind of... You should, like, engineer a system where it just kind of happens. Or... If yep. you're not production minded, then who cares? But if you're trying to make a bunch of the same thing, then then that's a great way to that's that's a great goal,
1: right? It's like I also really enjoy making the tools. Like, yeah, I think it's just because I'm so much because I machine like you know, I for the past two years I've been working as a machinist, so like I am way better at making parts and making tools than I am at building bikes. So it's like it's real satisfying to make the tools because I'm like, oh, this is really nice. But when no, I make bikes, I'm like, ah, this could be a lot better still because you know I don't do it every single day like I machine parts
0: yeah so uh let's talk about one of the things that you do uh the sort of segmented wishbone seat stays that's uh yeah it's something that you do on pretty much all of the bikes that you make and it's it's sort of unique so like uh what's the origin of that what are the functional benefits how much of that is like an aesthetic uh you know thing like Tell us about that.
1: I think it's mostly, well, it started out out of necessity because I didn't, I didn't have a good way to miter the seat stays at the top end. And I didn't want to make another fixture because I had just spent a whole bunch of time making a chainstay fixture. And I was (laughs) like, the way I had made it, it wasn't going to work for seat stays. Yeah. So then I saw, I think it was uh, a guy who does dark moon fab works. I saw his had a wishbone and was like, oh, you can do that like that would save me from making a tool well, all i gotta do is <laughs> miter this other thing so i did that the first time I was like oh this this. i don't know i thought it looked kind of cool so i just stuck with it and now that i've been doing it for x number of frames it's kind of just like part of my process
0: Hmm.
1: i've never done it the other way i have no idea i don't think yeah i don't know i don't think there's any structural benefit or or downside i just think it looks kind of cool and it works with my process at this point
0: yeah no it's cool i think it's uh You know, unless it's going to be, like, a worse design, uh, you might as well look for those opportunities to make something a little more unique. Yeah, part of me wonders if it's
1: as strong as regular seat stays, but uh, I haven't had any issues yet. Like, I purposely use, like, pretty thin tubes for the seat stays on my mountain bike Uh just to see if I could break them. I haven't broke them yet, so that's kind of like, I'm like, all right, you know, if the mountain bike can handle these really skinny, thin tubes, I'm probably okay to build all these road bikes with either the same or slightly thicker tubes
0: yeah are you do you find that you're a good um tester of yours like i feel like i baby everything that i have a little too much to be a good tester how do you feel about that um i mean i I would say in general in life
1: like take care of my things pretty well but i think in this with this for this particular case like with the mountain bike I want to see if it'll break because I want a, like I want it to break for me <laughs> instead of somebody else. So uh
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, I've jumped it off of some things to to kind of test it a little bit. In the name of science.
0: And, <laughs> in the name of science, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't be sending it off this ridge tonight, but in the name <laughs> of science.
1: But <laughs> well, I got to. It's you know
0: yeah. I'm helping somebody else down
1: the line. I mean I think I think in general a lot of steel bikes I mean, I, I should probably refrain from making like Comments about just like how things are because I've only built X number of bikes, but I'm gonna try anyway, and somebody will probably hate on me. But I, I feel like a lot of steel bikes are probably way overbuilt because steel is extremely strong.
0: Yeah, um, and it typically and, like, think, has a graceful failure mode. Yeah, it's just gonna
1: bend on you. I, mean, I guess unless like the head tube rips off or something, but you know, I think if you're careful about your welding, that's probably pretty unlikely. I think.
0: Yeah. So tell us about the shop space access that you do have. I mean, you mentioned it, like, where you work, Conturo prototyping, you have a lot of CNC machines, which are badass in themselves, but then you guys have at least one bridge port. I think you have some sort of manual lathe kicking around and a sinker wave welder, and, uh, you know, you, you seem to have the things that you would need. Do you have, like, a... I imagine some sort of alignment inspection table that you could throw a frame onto, uh, if you wanted to, or what, I mean, what do you have? What do you wish that you had? Uh, we have, there's like a, in the
1: back of the shop, like in one of the corners, there's what was like the quote welding area. Cause I think at one point, um, John was taking on some welding work, like parts where we would machine some, some of it and then weld and then do some post machining. Um, we don't really, do that a whole lot anymore. So the welding area doesn't get used very often. So I kind of just set up my little, all my tooling and my toolbox and everything in this back corner of the shop that doesn't really get used otherwise. So I'm super fortunate to have this like free, you know, I don't know, it's probably like 20 by 20 spot in the back of the shop that I'm just allowed to use at least until Johnny buys another machine and needs to put the machine there. But, um, (laughs) so that's like where my frame building tooling specific tooling is. And as far as alignment goes, I have one of those Bringelli uh, like C channel alignment table things. I just have that like strapped to the big welding table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a bridge port and a Hardinge lathe. That's what, those are the only manual tools we have. We don't, they don't get used all that often honestly for real shop stuff. So it's kind of nice. I don't, I usually don't have to act to worry about like fighting for time on the machine. Cause you know, real work stuff obviously trumps whatever I'm doing all the time. So yeah, it's nice that I don't really have to think about it all that much. So but yeah, I'm super fortunate. Like I got so lucky finding into this job and like the John is so open with me just like taking over a corner of his shop. It, it, I'm extremely lucky. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Do you just keep all your stuff like tucked away in a <laughs> toolbox or two when you're not using it?
1: Yeah. I lock it up just cause like the shop is kind of open. Like sometimes customers are rolling through and stuff. Uh, yeah, I got like a, a big lock toolbox, but so it's with all the bigger fixtures, they just sit out, but it's like, I don't, no one's going to steal that stuff, I don't think.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, I mean, one of the things, when I was in college, there was a, I kind of wanted to have access to the engineering machine shop, and I couldn't get in there too much. I took, like, one class, and I could use it a couple hours a week, and then once I finished that class, I wasn't an engineering student, so, like, I couldn't keep using that space, but I did have an independent study in the sculpture studio and so we didn't have like machine tools there but we had a lot of like welding and brazing and you know like belt sanders and it was useful still bench vices yeah and there i had a locker and i realized pretty quickly that it's like if i really wanted to build bike frames here like i wasn't going to have there wasn't really a good spot for me to have a whole fixture and i felt like there was a bunch of bike frame building specific tools that i would want to kind of keep out and it just seemed like every yeah. day you had to put it all away and it was kind of like you couldn't set it up the way that you wanted to. So it was better than nothing, but it was like a little frustrating. Do you feel that way? Like, like it's, it's like frustratingly inefficient to like set up and tear down all the time or is it not bad the way that you do it?
1: You no, know, that's definitely a, an issue I run into. I mean, cause I have to pull all my fixtures off the bridge port when I'm working on them. I've got to like make sure I put all my welding stuff away. So like, you know, it doesn't get my like pyrex cups don't get broken or whatever just from people like not paying attention um but i i, I feel like I, I can't really complain because i'm not paying for the space and because i have access to all these great tools like it's really great yeah. it is a small downside that yeah. i can't just leave stuff set up and like i gotta like check the tram on the milling vice all the time and like <laughs> sometimes collets are just missing and that kind of thing those are i don't know I feel yeah. like it's a, a pretty small downside considering all the positives. I mean, I'm yeah. at some point I would love to have my own shop space, but it's just yeah. not necessary right now.
0: Yeah, no, I would say uh, for sure that's a sweet deal. Uh, and those frustrations are real, but there's frustrations with anything. Yeah. It <laughs> uh, sounds like a pretty sweet, pretty sweet setup there. And you guys have a bunch of beautiful fake plants, huge ones. Uh, <laughs> I want to get that going in my shop just because it's – it's awesome and kind of funny, and uh, apparently they're pretty expensive. So I need to I need to like set up one of those automatic search things for like Craigslist, so that when some pop up, it gives me a <coughs> notification and I can swoop in. I and had no deal. idea.
1: I like I don't have a, even a vaguest gauge what fake plants cost. You could probably buy a real plant. Like some of the plants in our shop are actually real. Yeah. They just you know you gotta water them every couple of days. Oh, no. Those way. are probably cheaper, I guess.
0: Yeah, maybe. But uh, anyway, I need. I feel like the tackiness of the fake plants is almost better. <laughs>
1: That's true. Well, you can't tell they're fake until you're like right on top of them. You're like, oh,
0: ah, yeah. these are the fake ones. I, made, I need some low quality, some obviously fake ones. <laughs> like neon green. Maybe, yeah. But let's talk about, you know, with the – the so you spend a lot of time in CAD and CAM software all the time doing this prototype machining work. Uh, for me, you know, I was doing frame building for years before I learned how to use CAD software other than bike CAD I had learned early on, which is – pretty different than like 3d cad yeah and
1: right. i
0: found that the learning curve with cad was just difficult like it took a while for me to get past that point where it kind of clicked and then it wasn't so hard but there's still just it took a long time to really develop that skill yeah. and so if i had an idea for like a fixture or for dropouts or my, my whole first frame fixture i designed that whole thing with like terrible napkin sketches you know like it just awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah so anyway how do you feel like that informs your frame building process? I know with some of the full suspension stuff that you're doing, I've seen some, I think, some computer modeling that you've been doing. Or, like, do you do that with, do you make 3D models of your frames ever or like subcomponents? Or how much does that? Uh, play the into only process? thing, other than the, like the full suspension stuff, I've got
1: an entire model that I'm working in, in Fusion for that, just because there's so many moving parts. I, I didn't want to, you know, leave anything up to chance. But, before that I'd I'd never put a done a three D model of a frame in Fusion anything or SolidWorks or whatever. The only thing I would use um like three D modeling for is for making tooling. Um I would say like when I first learned how to use it we use SOLIDWORKS at at Pitt. Um and when I first learned how to use SOLIDWORKS, you know, I didn't I was a sophomore in college, so I didn't have and I wasn't like trying to build frame fixtures or anything. So I wasn't trying to rush into it and be like, all right, I have this software that I've never used. I got to try to make this thing that I've been thinking about for a year. It was like, I was just making the block with holes in the program that was, you know, that the teacher was telling us to do. So I think it was, it helped that I got this like full, you know, years worth of learning on, on the 3d software without trying to push it for, to, to do, you know, something bigger that way. Like, all these skills got ingrained in me. And then whenever two years later, when I needed to use them, they were just there, Uh, which was definitely helpful. I would say that was the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that I got out of going to college was learning how to use SOLIDWORKS properly. Um, Yeah. That's definitely it.
0: That's awesome. I, I, uh, I feel like I'm getting better all the time with CAD, but I still, there's a lot of like fundamental stuff that, uh, I don't know that I really know that well <laughs> and I'm like always trying to pick up tips here and there but I think uh, I think there's a lot more to learn I should uh
1: I, mean, I think the workflow in Fusion is really unintuitive at least for me yeah but I think it would be really difficult I think to learn I mean obviously maybe it's just because I came from a different software but I find it really confusing I like it every time I'm making like an assembly of multiple parts I always screw it up and like I can't figure out how they want you to do it. Like in SolidWorks, it's so easy. You just create parts as individual files and then you create an assembly file and then you bring those parts into the assembly file and that's it. With yeah. Fusion, it's like you could do it that way or you could design them all in the same design and then try to make them together. But, I don't. I don't really understand like what they. I don't know. It's very confusing <laughs> to me. I haven't quite figured it out yet.
0: Yeah, I feel like uh, even in my most recent and like. Uh intentional assemblies there's still always like lots of broken links and um it just gets kind of messy especially like if you're kind of designing as you go and you don't know exactly what the end thing is going to look like and then you you have a component that becomes irrelevant but you can't really delete it later because it gets referenced by all these other things so you just have to turn off visibility and then build another component (laughs) in its place oh it's so frustrating i'm always getting better with that stuff and uh and it pays dividends to like double down and like really focus on that but yeah there's a big learning Curve with CAD, and when you want to do complicated stuff, um, it's not like a quick and easy thing to get to get good with. Is my experience. I like think if you're
1: making like relatively simple square things, yeah. you can pick it up pretty fast, yeah. and then it's like it is super useful. It's so good for making like yeah. basic fix, like all the tooling for bikes are it's all square. So uh-huh. like if you can just model all that out, it saves so much time, and then yeah. and then it's you know if you're getting it machined, you have these models already. It's yeah, an invaluable tool, I would
0: say. I think one of the best things about CAD software, one, I mean, anyone who's mechanical and interested in, you know, making stuff in the shop, whether it's bikes or machining or whatever, uh, if you're not already proficient and familiar with CAD, it's one of the best things you can do for yourself because, uh, I mean, it really helps you get stuff made, whether you're making it or other people are making it. And I think one of the best things is it helps you communicate your ideas. So if you, yeah, if you can show somebody a solid model of what you're talking about, it's like, oh, I get it. And if you can't do that and you're not good at making some sort of like, you know, draft, <laughs> like drawing it out yeah. or something, it's, it's just impossible to talk to people about these ideas and, you know, collaboratively iterate or get someone else to make something for you. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a huge, huge life skill to have. It's also really nice. Like, you know, it's, you can assemble
1: things in your head to a certain point, but I think a lot of times I'll have yeah. an idea for something and I'll start to make the model. And then as soon as I've got like, two of the parts in my model, I'm like, oh, that that is not going to work. There's mm-hmm. no way. Yep. It's like in my head, there was this like, like oh, in my head, it's like, oh, this will just connect like this. And in, in, in the picture in my head, it's just like, it's blurry in between the two parts. Like, yeah, it'll just connect. And then I go to model it, and I'm like, oh, there's that's yep. impossible. That just won't work. So then yep. it's really nice to be able to, once you have it in front of you, to actually, you know, try to figure out what's going on. It's definitely helpful.
0: Yeah. And I think um, one of the things... It, like my frame fixture I poured over my fusion model of that forever I'm just like looking at it and looking at it and studying it and thinking about it and I have the frame model then I have the fixture model then I can adjust the extents of it and see how things change and when I finally made the whole thing it was like it didn't even feel it just like it felt like I already had seen it before but I had never put it together to that extent and so once I had right. it all together it was like a new and exciting moment but it was just kind of like of course this is exactly how it would be like or yeah, it better be, yeah. Or another huge, uh, and I mean, to use it is different than to look at it. But it, it built up the That's way true. I expected it to. Uh, a hugely important thing is like fasteners. Like you know, you can buy socket head cap screws so cheap, and washers, and most of this hardware is pretty affordable, and you can just order it, and it shows up. But if you don't have a good yeah. way to know what length fasteners you need ahead of time. It's a, it's a chore. Like I used to, I've spent way too much of my life cutting down bolts <laughs> to length. It's such a waste of oh, time. Yeah. It's so, it's complicated to do actually. It's kind of hard because the. Yeah, there's a lot that
1: goes into it.
0: Yeah. And so if you just know what size fasteners you need and you put them in a McMaster car order like a day or two before you need them, it makes life massively easier. So you can do that very yeah. easily with a solid model.
1: Yep. It's using the measure tool to be like, oh, this is how thick it is. This is how the
0: bolt. Yep. Um, so full suspension bikes, uh, what, what draws you to want to do that? I mean, that's a complicated proposition when you don't have, um, you know, if you design something and you sell a hundred thousand units of it, then the engineering is, is paid for many times over. But if you're making a smaller quantity of them, that's, it's complicated. Are you drawn to that for the fun of the challenge of it? Are you drawn to it? Cause you think that you, you're going to be able to make a sweet contribution. Is it multiple things combined?
1: I don't. I don't know that I'll ever. Well, I have no idea. But in my head, it was just like, it's a fun challenge. Like hell yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's just it's something interesting. It's like it gives me something to do in the evening after dinner. It's like I don't. <laughs> it's like the the in my mind that's like the the wasted hours of every single day. It's like the hours from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. It's like I'm not going to go back to the shop and mm-hmm. Rowan wants to just sit on the couch. So it's like I don't. You know, the dog's already been walked. Got to have something to do, so this gives me like something to keep my brain occupied. Um, you know, it I, I, I don't know. It, just, it seems like it'll be really fun. We'll see.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure. What uh, what resources have you found to be helpful in like studying what's already out there and the strengths and weaknesses of the designs that exist and you know, that's just one of the, one of the problems when you try and learn about something so that you can, you can throw your hat into the ring is like, you need to get up to speed on what's out there and how you might improve on it. Like, how have you been studying this? Yeah, it's an enormous rabbit hole for this thing. Well, at first in my head, when I started, I was like, all right, this won't be so bad. It's
1: like, I've made, a, you know, 12 bikes. It's I know how to make a bike. This is easy. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, you got your front triangle and that's, it's just like, you know, with, with, a regular like hardtail kind of bike there's only so many variables that you have to decide it's like you decide all the the geometry numbers and then you got to decide the tube thicknesses and all that and it's like you can only there's only so many permutations that are really available but and in my head it was like all right you know you just add the rotating back it's so it'll be easy but <laughs> as soon as i got into it i was like oh my gosh there's so much to think about it's like it's like, oh, how much travel do you want? What about your leverage ratio? It's like, oh, what about the instant center? It's like, Oh, is your axle path forward or backwards? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't even care. I just like so it took me I spent a solid month or two just like reading all these articles online and like looking at the different designs and there's this super cool program called Linkage. It's just, it's sorta of, kind of similar to BikeCat. It's like a two D uh software mm-hmm. that allows you to um like create all the linkage points of whatever full suspension design you want to do and it'll graph the um leverage ratio and it'll show you exactly how much travel you have and it'll show how much tire clearance you have at full travel and it'll show you like anti-sag and anti or not anti-sag anti uh Yes. There's just so many variables. Like all these other things, like you go into mountain bike forums and all these guys are like, Oh, what's the anti-rise on this bike? It's 3.625. Like, Oh, that's way better than this bike. It's 3.724. I'm like, dude, (laughs) I, it doesn't matter. So I just, I basically looked at a bunch of like kind of cross country looking bikes and, you know, tried to find all the numbers of those bikes, you know, like leverage ratio of this bike and this bike and this bike and, uh, anti-rise of this bike and this bike and this bike. Um, you know, just to kind of give me a ballpark. I'm like, all right, if my, if any of my numbers are relatively close to any of these numbers, then I'm probably good and I can move on from this step. And then it's like, once I figured out all the pivot locations, it's like, all right, I've decided on that. then it's like this whole other thing of trying to figure out the fabrication. That's kind of what I'm working on now. It's like, how am I going to weld this together? How am I going to fixture everything and how, Am I gonna make sure that all the pivot points are like exactly lined up properly? Because if they're even a little bit off, then all this calculations and thinking I've been done is for nothing because the numbers don't line up with my model. So it's there's a whole lot to it. And then it's like, like oh, the tube thickness in my head, I've got this like benchmark of, you know, how 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 thick two different tubes on the different but on like different parts of the bike should be. Mm-hmm. But for the full suspension bike, it's like I have I have no clue. So I'm yeah. just gonna. I guess just make all the tubes, at least the seat tube, where the pivots are going to be like super thick, so I don't have to worry about it. But yeah, the the good thing is I do have a full solid model of this one, so I could do, you know, I can do a little bit more structural analysis on different parts if I was worried about them because I've got these models that I could bring over into into like some kind of FEA software mm -hmm. if I really wanted to.
0: Yeah, I would imagine the way that full suspension works is that it really concentrates loads in particular spots that could yeah. really create issues. If you with like the diamond frame, I don't know. I don't know that you have that same thing, but like you see like where the shock mounts on a full suspension frame and where some of the, depending on the design, I'm sure it'd be different on different designs, but really concentrates the forces and I mean, into the shock, right? Like the shock is you, you bottom out against something when you're like Huck to flat, they say, right? right. <laughs> you really send it, yeah, like land. a pink bike thing. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, you really land hard on these things. The force through through you know through the frame, there concentrated in into the uh, the shock mounts. It's gonna be crazy. You would really need to support that well. I would have to think uh, in order to you know avoid frame failure. And so it's a, it's a different proposition where the diamond frame. I would, I don't know that it really concentrates uh, the load into any particular spot.
1: Yeah, at least when you're like jumping off of something, it's kinda you know, you got some of the load that goes into the chain stay and some of it goes like axially up the seat stays and like, it's like I feel like it's all distributed. Versus you're totally right where I think in a bottom out situation, like most of your force just goes straight through the shock, I think. That's like a part of the puzzle I haven't totally wrapped my head around is like where all the forces go. Yeah. In See, these that's- type of bikes.
0: I, I would imagine, uh, you know, your skill set with CAD and CAM and with, uh, you know, the engineering background would have to be at least sort of helpful with problem solving like that. Where you're, you're not just. I think a lot of the times with bike frame building, you can be pretty conservative and just kind of build bikes the way that people have always built them and make subtle deviations and guess and check, you know, see what works. And I would think when you're moving into new territory with like a new suspension design or something, you kind of need a toolbox that allows you to, to like engineer things you know to to measure and predict how well something is going to work before you make it right
1: yeah that's definitely true like uh i i've been doing a lot of like a lot of stuff that i haven't done since college like basic by hand structural analysis just like like simple beam bending calculations be like all right does this if there's this much force in this part of the of my linkage is like is it gonna fail and i gotta do all like, like i don't i mean you could do a lot of this stuff in using it some kind of fea package but uh i don't know the guy who the class i took in school about about that kind of analysis he basically said that like always wrong so don't trust it i mean (laughs) i I think it's more like you got to be very careful about how you define your boundaries and everything but um i think for the most part you can at least get pretty darn close doing like trying to simplify everything uh and then doing it on paper Using like the worst case scenario, like for a lot of the members they're not really they're like a bunch of situations for beams and bending and um you know obviously certain ones are worse for stress and strain in the beams than others, and most of the things in a bike are kind of in the uh like lower stress and strain variance of a beam, but if you just assume that they're in the worst case scenario and do all your calculations that way, then I imagine you're at least pretty
0: close. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the frame building community uh, generally, but also as it pertains to you, something is, you know, like you're a, you know, a younger guy and newer to the frame building world than a lot of people, I guess, but I think you're doing great work and I'm excited to see where you take it in the coming years. But I see you as an active person in the community. I see people referencing that, you know, you help them with this or that, or you're making a tool for somebody to do this or whatever. It just seems like you just really love this and, and the community generally. Uh, I mean, what is it about the community that that is like a good fit that makes you feel like uh, it's a good place to spend your time? I think it's so fun. Like uh, I, hear, I hear people talking about this there's like apparently a facebook
1: group somewhere about frame builders and all i hear is people like oh there's a bunch of assholes on there all they do is shit on me and my (laughs) designs i'm like i have never nowhere seen any attitudes like that like in the i guess it's mostly like the instagram frame building community people are so supportive like Mm -hmm. i owe everything that i've figured out like you know i quote figured stuff out on my own but like i have bothered so many people with so many questions and they've all been like 90% of them have been so open to answering all of my questions that it's been extremely helpful. So I feel like, you know, now that I know a little bit more than nothing, I owe it to whoever, you know, anyone who has the questions that I had, I I feel like I owe it to them to at least relay the information that people were nice enough to give to me onto them. Uh, I don't know. I just, it is, I think it's super cool. Like everyone everyone's real supportive you know someone posts a new frame and then you get all these comments from other builders like whoa that one's really cool or I don't know I think it's really cool just because you know I've met all these people who <laughs> live all over the country and in different countries that I never would have you know yeah. had any interaction with before and now I'm like you know have these small conversations with all these people like oh how'd you do that for this frame that you built like oh thanks buddy I'm from Germany and it's like oh cool yeah it's, I don't know I've that's never, so cool i think it's really interesting yeah and it's this cool like this weird niche craft kind of thing that you know brings all these people together
0: yeah for sure i i can i will say that i think the the facebook frame builders group is probably my least favorite frame building forum ever <laughs> i think it's just so crazy to me because
1: i've never i've never experienced that like attitude from anybody yeah
0: it's in, the worst I've come in contact with there's uh, some of the posts and some of the content there is totally fine and nice but it's just a lot of it strikes me as a lot of people who have no idea what they're talking about having a really strong opinion about everybody else's opinion and really trying to flex how much they know about stuff but seemingly not knowing that much and it's like a different of, a difference of perspectives you know like if you're solving for how do i make a really aesthetically interesting unique and beautiful bicycle that's fun or how do i like make the best engineered modern forward thinking thing that pushes the boundaries like everybody has their own competing set of considerations for what makes a good bike and i feel like that community is especially it just seems to be always filled with this stupid bickering and uh like it just i it's i hate it it's it's so bad i like i kind of i keep an eye on it because it's the world that i'm in and it's like some of them are my customers and different people i feel like i should have my finger on the pulse and occasionally i'll chime in i feel like it's much more often that i start to write a comment and i'm like you know what it's not worth my time. And I just I just forget about it. I delete the comment before I posted it. It's just, it's it, I don't know what it is, but something about that world is just the worst. And I think I see that with machining too. Like if you go on Practical Machinist, it tends to be that kind of space where it's all these like, these old dudes just bickering about what the right, wrong way to machine things is. And if you go on Instagram, the whole CNC machining or Insta machinist community on Instagram tends to be very positive and like forthcoming and helpful and friendly. And like people, if they got some negative attitude about something, they kind of keep it to themselves more. It's a lot. It's a lot more constructive. And I don't know what it is about Facebook and some of these certain groups are just the worst.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I wonder if it's like has something to do with the medium. Or it's more like this group, like particularly the frame building group, has just always been kinda of grumpy, so it's just never gonna change. Or is it like just Facebook that made it, it made it, it bad? I don't know. Either way, it's I, like I've I just like I've never even been on the frame builders group. I just like hear about it. I'm like yeah. I'm not I'm not even gonna to touch that with a 10 foot pole.
0: It's the worst. At its best, it's like totally acceptable, but I think more often than not, it's terrible. I will say, one, my biggest hypothesis for why it's so bad is that I think on Instagram, you have to like show your work sort of. Like if you click on somebody's uh, profile, you can see what they do and don't do. And so for the most part, like you know whether or not somebody has any right to be talking about it. But like on Facebook, you may or may not post at all about frame building or your shop work or like your credentials. It might just be your personal profile and like family photos that you're tagged in. And so like right. people will act like they know so much about it. And then you have no idea whether or not, you know, like if somebody really knows better and they're giving you a critique, uh, maybe you should listen to them, but like there's, nobody's showing their work there or some people are and some people aren't. And I feel like that leads to it. I think also uh-huh. I've thought about this a lot for no reason, but I think <laughs> also I, uh, <laughs> on, on Facebook, it's like it's just a clash of sort of values, and it's a clash. Like you have the the guys who like making the sort of like low rider pedal bikes, which are cool, not my thing, but it's cool. And then you have like you know, there's just like different cultures that come together, and and people don't respect what everybody else is doing, and it's just a lot of it's just a lot of bull crap.
1: I wonder if that's something also to do with like on Instagram, like for better or for worse, you can like completely curate your. Yep. Like, your feed and what you see. Like, you're only going to follow people that you either respect or, like, look up to or, like, you think their work is cool. Like, you're Mm -hmm. not going to follow some random jag who's, like, I don't know, being a dick or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't see anyone on Instagram who's making this sort of, like, low rider, you know, uh, chopper pedal bike things. And, uh, and it's, I don't have any problem with that, but like, that's just not really my world and I don't see that, but I do see it on Facebook and I think it's like, yeah, it's a little bit less of like a self-selecting echo chamber or something. It's a little bit more diverse, but then that means that people don't always have the same level of respect maybe when they see ideas that they think are stupid or something. So, right. Anyhow. Yeah. I can't, I can't really recommend the Facebook group, but, um, (laughs) 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 it's fine. You'll learn some things there. You know, you'll meet some people there. I just feel uh, like
1: if you go on there, you're probably gonna like want to quit. It's like I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, it's it's not all bad. It's just it's too bad. So uh, what else is on my list here? Imposter syndrome is an interesting topic. I uh, I asked you if you wanted to be on the show, and you said something to the effect of like, "Oh, me? Like I'm newer to this or something." And and I think typically on this show, most of my guests are people who've been doing it longer than you and have like a bigger commercial brand or something. Not everybody. I've interviewed some people who are who are younger and newer to this. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned like, oh, you got imposter syndrome, but I think we all do to some degree or another, or we have had right. it. And I think with frame building specifically, we tend to really have it because the thing that draws you to do it usually is like the craft of it and that there's all these exceptional frame builders who are so good and you aspire to be like them but like you don't kid yourself to think that you're as good as these greats and so you'll be doing it for years and years and years feeling like uh like a nobody or something and I think a lot of us need a kick in the ass to remember that like no like you're doing it you know and um it's it's an interesting thing you know this phenomenon like where you you never feel like for years and years I never felt like I was doing anything right you know
1: yeah, it's definitely. I feel like in any kind of like craft or or, or whatever, you're always going to be looking up to. Like once you get to a certain level, you you never stop and appreciate that. Like wow, a year ago, I was really looking up to people that were at this level. You just you just get by that, and you just like start looking to the people at the next level, and you like. Yeah. I feel like I definitely always forget to be like wow. Well, I like forget to step back and be like, all right, yeah, I guess I'm you know doing. Pretty good at this so far, um, but I don't know. It, it it is intimidating for sure when you have all these people. It's like, yeah, I built like seven thousand frames when I worked at like whatever
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, small brand that used to be small and now is huge. I don't know. It's like it's just like I'll never make seven thousand frames. I'll probably never make seven hundred frames. So it's like it's like how can I expect to be even remotely good at this when there's these people who Who've made seven thousand frames and they don't even think they're like that great yet. because <laughs> nobody thinks they're good at anything. Yeah. Just, well, like I, I don't know. I think it's intimidating.
0: If you let's say you you did uh, you ran marathons or something, like there's always somebody faster, you know. Or if you uh, if you are a rock star, somebody's always selling more records or making music that resonates with people on a wider scale. Or so you know, it's like there's always somebody further on. And so I think no matter what you do there's always the potential to feel like you're not there yet or you don't qualify yet or something. And I think it's it's not always the worst thing. I mean, it's good to, like, have high aspirations for yourself and to want big things. But I think I know a lot of my friends who are interested in bike frame building and other things just don't feel like they're really there yet. But I'm like, no, you're there. You're kicking ass. Like, if anybody's doing it, you're doing it. This is awesome, you know? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a hard one because it's like if you really – aspire to be good then you know it's it's gonna be a long time before you really feel that confidence about it
1: yeah I think the time thing for me is a big part of it because it's like man these guys have been doing it for 30 years of their life <laughs> and i've been doing it for like three it's uh, like i just it's like no matter how many frames i make it's like you can't compete with the fact that they've been doing it for 30 years i haven't even been alive that long so it's like yeah i think that's that's mainly where like my like imposter syndrome it stems from it's like yeah or it's like I I don't feel like I can present myself as a legitimate you know frame builder or whatever
0: yeah but I mean I've only been doing
1: it for X number of years
0: but these people like I remember seeing uh, Steve Potts had some throwback to when he was you know in his 20s or something and like living in some garage that he was renting and <laughs> he he had in order to take a shower he had to go down the street and use a bike shop or something that he was buddies with and Anyway, he was just showing like what it was like at this time in his life when he was, you know, building all these frames. He was doing like production work and he had this photo with like this right. whole line of bike frames. But I look back at that and I'm like, yeah, he's totally legit. He's like totally kicking ass. At that point, he probably hadn't been doing it that long. He's probably at a similar point in his career as you are, you know, and it's like but he's totally legit. And uh, in hindsight, it's easy to feel that way because I see what he did afterwards. But if I see what you're doing or a lot of my friends and peers I'm like, I have no doubt that you're you're going somewhere, so it's like you know to think that Steve Potts at that age wasn't already totally legit would be kind of ridiculous, uh, and you know it's like yeah, you're doing it if anybody's doing it you're doing it, and uh you just have you have a whole lot of development left ahead of you too
1: That's fair Got lots of room to grow
0: <laughs> there was uh, I forget what it was. I think I followed Steve Potts on Facebook, and he had some throwback posts, and he was showing that, and he was saying. Something about how like back then, you know, he was just kind of green and he didn't know everything and he didn't have uh, some, I forget how he phrased it, but he said that he was getting by on like horsepower alone, I think was how he phrased it. <laughs> that it's just like, he didn't know everything, but he was just working really hard. And, uh, I just love that idea thinking about that. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs>
1: I think it's, it's like like that's when, pretty legit. Like if you make enough of these things, like you're going to start to figure it out eventually. Yeah
0: yeah no and uh when you're um when you're young i think you tend to have the kind of energy to just like you know you don't have all that wisdom yet you don't have the years and decades of experience yet you don't have a lot of us you know don't have the money for like all the slick tools and space you can't just like buy all these things but you probably have energy you know if you're able-bodied and you're young you tend uh, you know tend, tend to be a uh, you can just work harder and so that's like that's the advantage of being young uh or one of the advantages certainly is uh maybe not knowing enough to to <laughs> to go take a some, break yeah sometimes you're just like oh yeah this is a waste of time and then you, you give up before you otherwise you know you might be young and stubborn or something so it be an advantage uh let's talk about pittsburgh you live in pittsburgh you're not from pittsburgh are you no, I grew up an hour
1: north of Baltimore, Maryland. Okay.
0: But now you've been, you went to college in Pittsburgh, right? And then you just stuck around? Yeah. Yeah, uh, stuck around. I like it here a lot. Yeah, it seems like a cool city. I uh, i don't know that I've ever been in Pittsburgh other than like passing through on the expressway. But it uh, seems like a real right. cool city. And uh, yeah, I wanted to visit you. COVID kind of complicated that. But um, I, <laughs> I was mentioning before we started recording uh Austin Russell who was a guest on this podcast visited the city just to just to wheelie down all the steepest hills. What's the what's the bike riding situation like uh with regard to, you know, cyclocross racing, I know you do, and mountain biking and then just like the sort of commuter and bike culture generally in the city. Uh how does that inform, you know, your your love of bicycles and and the way that you ride and design them? Oh, it's it is so good here. Uh, we we have it so good. But like, I mean, I I personally live like four
1: blocks from Frick Park, which is one of the like better mountain biking places in the city. I think I always have this thought of like, all right, yeah, if I lived in, you know, Denver or something within an hour, you have like world-class riding, like really great mountain biking. But like, if you want to ride for 45 minutes after work, cause it's going to get dark soon. I don't really think you have as many options. So I've never been to Denver, so maybe I'm wrong, but like, it's, like places like this where there's this park, it's like, you know, obviously it's not world-class riding, but I can get to it in four minutes riding from my front door. Yeah. And I can get, like, a really nice ride in. It's super fun. That's a super big plus. And then there's lots of uh, – we have – you know, in Pittsburgh is, it's, it's the, you know, it's the three rivers thing. There's three rivers. So there's all these, uh, like, paved river trails up and down all the rivers. So there's, like, you know, good riding for that. It's great from getting, like, different sides of the city commuting-wise too. Um Uh, and like the bike pittsburgh the advocacy group is super good about uh like really pushing new bike lanes and and uh you know appropriate signage for bikes like i've only been here for whatever six years or so and i've already seen like a huge increase in the number of uh in like the bike infrastructure it's been really cool so i think i think it's a good place but cross racing wise there's a local series here and there's like Two local race series well I guess this year none of them really happens, but there's two local race series within a couple hours in Ohio that a lot of us will go to so you just there's just lots of opportunities to race and then you've got access to all the mid-Atlantic races like charm and DCCX those are only I mean if you're gonna stay for the weekend it's only four hours five hours away so it's totally within reach for like a a driving trip with some buddies so it's super cool I love cross it is fun (laughs)
0: Yeah, sounds like a sweet city. And it's uh, it's it's like a northern climate, but it seems like it's certainly not as snowy or as cold or as long of a winter as the places in Michigan and New York that I've lived. No, we get like, I mean, it's it'll be dark and gray and kind of wet uh,
1: from like, I don't know, November all the way through April, but we don't really get a ton of snow. It'll... It'll snow every few days and then it melts and then it'll snow some more and then it melts. Um but yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It it doesn't usually get crazy cold either. We'll have like one week where it goes down to like five degrees overnight or something, but for the most part it's like in the winter, lows in the twenties, highs in the I don't know, twenties, I guess. High twenties. Um it's
0: pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yeah, sounds legit, man. Plus, you had, the, you had the true experience of working for a sort of steel mill. <laughs> That's
1: true. There was, I, I mean, the work was, you know, hit or miss. Some days were super fun. Some days were like, this is stupid. I don't. Really, I just don't care about fixing this mill right now. But uh, obviously, looking back, it was a cool experience. I'm like, wow, I got to work at a steel mill. I don't uh-huh. know, it was cool.
0: The, you ever see Flashdance? No. Oh, man, you got to see it. She's in Pittsburgh. She's like a pipe welder or something, and then also an exotic dancer. And then in the beginning, she's like riding her <laughs> bike and like stick welding. And it's pretty sweet. Classic Pittsburgh film. Classic. Pittsburgh reference. That's funny. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And a uh, good soundtrack, too. Very 80s. But...
1: All right, I'll take a look.
0: Um, so last question that I had on the list is, Well, second to last question, what's been the hardest thing with frame building? I mean, I think of uh, some people talk about business related things if they're trying to do it as a business. And then certainly some of the technical aspects can be difficult or, you know, like what is what have you found to be really challenging?
1: I hate welding so much. (laughs) It is my least favorite part of the whole thing. It's like because I I would say my background is kind of machining. I make these super high precision tools and then I make these super high precision cuts when I miter all the tubes and I take a lot of time to file all the little ears off and like make everything nice and clean everything and then it just all goes to shit when I weld it. It is so frustrating. It's like, it's like Schrodinger's box or Schrodinger's cat, but it's a bike. So it's like, maybe this is a, I don't know if that's a great analogy or not, but it's like, I'll do all this perfect prep and I'm like, all right, look how tight these miters are. Everything is great. And I cleaned the heck out of the tubes and then... It's like a huge question mark whether the bike is going to come out even remotely straight after welding it. That's just, I guess just because I'm not that great of a welder, but it's like, it is supremely frustrating to put in all this prep and like know that if it was someone who was more experienced at welding, they'd be able to make this perfectly straight frame, but then out of my fixture comes this crooked turd that I've got to like, <laughs> okay, I guess they're, they're, they're never that bad. I'm just like, you know, it always takes a little bit of alignment after welding and maybe all frames are like that, but... Yeah. I hate welding. It
0: just, it just never goes like I want it to. But when it does go well, do you feel good about it, or do you even hate it then?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, I guess if I like, lay down a sweet bead, I'm like, nice, that's a cool bead. But uh, in general, I, I, don't, I don't like it all that much. Yeah. I like every, everything else. I love making the tools. I love prepping the tubes. I love doing all the finishing. I like brazing. I just don't like welding. The businessy stuff, too. That's, like, fine. Like, I, I like messing around on Excel and fussing with my computer and sending emails. Like, that's all fine. I don't mind. But... Yeah. It's, it's, it's because I don't feel like I have control over it. Like, yeah. with all the other things, I feel like I have... You know, I, I'm a decent machinist, so I feel like I have a pretty good mastery of that part of my process versus the welding. I am just not quite there yet. Like, I, in the end, I, I guess what it is, in the end, I always... My welds end up looking fine and in the end the, stra- the frames are straight. It just takes a lot of effort. Like yeah. a lot of mental energy, a lot of like going back over certain sections of the bike to like to pull the bike a different direction because it's a little bit crooked. It would be awesome if I at some point in in my life could get to the point where I can weld a frame without it like completely draining me after 6 hours of work. That would be great.
0: But, yeah. I, I think I spent a disproportionate amount of time when I was making bikes just doing, like, practice welds and stuff because I felt like that was the only thing I could do. I, I didn't want to make right. bikes that sucked. I didn't have the skill to make bikes that didn't suck, so I'd just do a lot of practice welds. <laughs> and I feel like for only having made 19 or 18 bikes or whatever that my welds were looking pretty decent – But yeah, I mean, it's hard. And then it's, it's one thing to do a practice weld on the bench that lays down pretty good. But then, you know, in situation trying to do seat stays and stuff, it's just fricking frustrating. And so when it goes well, it feels so good. And when it doesn't, it really doesn't. But I do think I've seen too many people get good at welding over the years to feel that like demoralized about it or something. It's like, I don't know I just don't really believe that there's people who have it and people who don't or maybe to some degree but it's like man I've seen so many people just like freaking kill it after they work a production job for a while or something or just really cranking them out in their own shop or something and uh you know that's it's, it's very different you know machining is like very exacting like there's a process like if you do these steps with this you know sort of inputs and outputs then like this is what you can expect and welding is much more like artistry it's it's kind of frustrating that you can't just level up by doing it right. Like, you need to put in the time.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a time thing. Like, I definitely noticed that because I'm machining parts every single day, four days a week, it's like, that's the, obviously, that's the easy part for me because I put in my time. Like, I would like to think that if I ever had the chance to just be welding four days a week for a few months that I could get pretty good at it. Oh, but yeah. It, it's just like... This is not really in the cards. Like, I don't, I don't have enough welding to do this for a yeah. month. So four days a week welding.
0: Yeah, really. My best tip always, or my best strategy, was to just, like, bulk miter a bunch of 4130 for little T-joints and stuff. And then I'd keep them in a Tupperware thing, and then I'd pull them out, and I'd do a couple welds every day. And that was, like, when I was in that routine, I felt like that was really good. Because, you, you know, after two or three joints, it's like, you know, that's all you need to do a day to to be getting right. at least a pretty good amount of progress but even that like that doesn't help you too much with the tight spots and like the hard part is the rear end of the bike getting in the seat stays where it's like thick to thin shallow angles you can't yeah. see there's like dropouts in your chin like uh.
1: well, that's another plus of the wish drone things that i've been doing is you don't have to do that like valley of death well that a lot of people talk about like going in between the stays yeah. that well doesn't exist
0: yeah that's nice So that's good. Because, you know, that would have been,
1: I don't think, yeah, I don't, I'm not a good enough welder to be able to handle like super thin seat stays going in between like that.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Uh, The first couple bikes that I TIG welded, I actually just went, I would TIG weld the whole bike and then I would like bronze braze that because I was like, this ain't going to (laughs) happen. This is not, this ain't happening. Uh, and then the first ones that I take well that I'm like, oh, that didn't happen to like, I got it. Done, <laughs> but I key hold real bad and I had to patch it up. And if you look close, it's terrible or, you know, whatever. There's a lot of seat tube reaming just because of the seat stays, uh, not because oh, of the yeah. top tube joint. But. So uh, what's next, man? I mean, I know you uh, you got this cool job doing machine prototyping and you your whole world seems to be frame building right now. Are you trying to build, uh, you know, the hand-to-hand brand into uh something that like you know your career or do you feel like you're just having fun with it and learning what you can or uh do you you know like where where do you want to take all this
1: i don't know i don't think i don't think i would want to ever do this as a full-time thing i think in my head like the quote the dream would be like eventually to go out on my own and buy one or two CNC machines and do job shop work kind of like I do now, just, you know, out of my own, and then also continue to build frames. But I don't... I mean, who knows? I This whole project, I've kind of gone into it with, like, a not having any expectations, because I feel like in some situations having an expectation of what you want out of it, like, oh, I'm going to start building frames, and then that's going to be my job, and I'm going to sell frames. Like, I think that can be you know, that can really hurt you, I think, because then it's like you're trying, if you're, like, your skills aren't there yet and you're, like, trying real hard to be something that you're not and it's, like, it's just a whole extra level of stress because you're like, oh, man, I need to be better at this because I want to sell frames. It's, like, I think if you just kind of don't have, I mean, I guess you need to have aspirations and goals, but I don't know. As far as the frame building goes, I don't really have any goals for it. I'm just kind of seeing what happens. Uh, I'm definitely, like I said, I'm way better at machining. So it makes more sense for me to kind of pursue that as a career instead of welding frames. But yeah. it's, I, I don't, it, it's, at least at this point in my life, it, it's super fun. So I don't see myself like stopping. So yeah, we'll see
0: here's another one uh dropouts i haven't seen you cnc machine that many dropouts but a couple is that something you see yourself doing more of uh what was that experience like
1: oh it was super i like i said because you know the machining is the easy part for me it was like oh, once i had a cool design in my head it's you know pretty easy to crank them out it's like part of it was uh driven by laziness because the uh like the way that the axle lines up with the hoods on the Paragon sliding dropouts really confused me. And I didn't want to go through the effort of figuring out how to make it work. So <laughs> I made my own sliding dropouts where the, where the hood is concentric with the axle. So I don't even have to think about it. Um, yeah. But as it turned out, a, a customer for a build that I'm doing in a couple months, a mountain bike, he was like, would you be willing to try the Paragon ones? And I was like, ah, all right, fine, I'll give them a try. <laughs> um, and now, now that I've started working with them, I'm like, oh, this would have been way easier than making my own dropouts. They're not difficult to work with. I don't know what I was scared of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's fun. It's, I, I don't know. It's, it's satisfying to machine something and then weld it into a bike that and is. see you know, see this, this completed thing. And I've only done, I've done two bikes with them so far. I uh, know I'm about to do a third.
0: For the for yeah, the listeners out there who would who would like a set of the hander hand spec sliding dropouts, uh, are those for sale to the public?
1: No, not right now. I don't have the time for it. Uh, if the, the, another issue is like because the uh, the like on the Paragon dropouts oh, were... because on the Paragon dropouts the uh, the brake mount is part of the slider insert so you don't really have to worry like no it doesn't matter what angle the seat stays are or the chain oh, stays yeah, are I mean, it's that's... just always going to work out with mine the 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 iso tab is separate so you have to make a different iso tab for every different seat stay to horizontal angle yeah it's like it's not really uh it's, in its current form it's not really production worthy because i would have to make an infinite number of different angled uh iso tabs gotcha but also i don't have the time it's like i could either build frames something that i really enjoy or i could machine more dropouts and it's like i do that i machine parts most days of the week so it's like i don't need to be doing that (laughs) uh anymore
0: yeah That's awesome, man. It's cool. Like, I guess another, sorry, I keep thinking of more questions. I was saying it was over. Here's a a good one though. Uh, You know, if you live and breathe the machine shop and making stuff and you have this job doing prototype machining and then you got this hobby in the same space uh, doing, you know, machining and welding on these bike frames. Uh, there, there's, you know, sometimes you, you would think you would want a hobby that complements your work life that's different enough that you feel like you're not just doing the same thing all the time. Does that ever get to you that you feel like you're spending too much time in the shop or is it like, I can't get enough or is it really nice that they're different as they are? I think they're different. Like they are different enough
1: um, that like the actual activity feels different enough that it's fine. Like, yeah, sometimes it's a little bit of a drag going to the shop like six days of the week. Um, But I don't know, I put myself in like a completely different mind space when I'm going in to work on my stuff. It's like, it's just so much more rewarding at the end of the day to be like, wow, I did that like for me, for a project that, like for my own project versus like when I'm making parts for the shop, it's like, yeah, I made four parts today. I'm going to make four more tomorrow. It's like there's just a never-ending stream of other people's projects that I'm Mm -hmm. working on. Um, versus when I go to work on my own stuff, it's just way more exciting. And yeah. because i um, you know, I've got that, you know, little corner in the back of the shop, I am kind of separate. Uh, like I said, the, the activities are so different. Like machining parts, it's like the workflow is: cam everything out on the computer, and then set up your tools, and then go to the machine. It's like it's kind of like a cycle. And I'm, you know, the welding and the frame building is, is a whole bunch of different, you know, parts of the process. So. Uh, it would be great to have a shop space not at my workplace, but again, it's like another small downside to this huge perk that I have of working there. So I'm gonna deal with it.
0: Yeah, for sure. No, that's a huge perk. I mean, I I always had a pretty cheap shop rent for the longest time because I would deal with places that weren't really that nice, and I would like make it work. Yeah, and, right. You know, build them out or something. Um, but it, I mean, that has its own costs associated, but then you know like if you want to get machines and move them in and power them up and pay for the space and heat the space and take care of the space and or you could just use something and it like already has all that stuff like that is worth a lot i think you know if you had to put a dollar amount on it it would be it would be like a you know a lot it would be like a thousand bucks a month or more easily
1: yeah and plus there's like the less mental stress that I've got to deal with. Cause I'm not like, yeah. Oh, I got to make X number of bikes to make this rent worth it. It's kind of like, I can keep this bike building thing as something that I really just do because I like it. Yep. Uh, and I don't have to worry. It's like, if I want to do some crazy crafty bike, that's going to take me three months. It's like, it, that's fine. I don't have yep. any, like, I don't have any like constant overhead. The only thing I have to pay for is all my material.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's amazing. Yeah, and it just never ends with like machinery and stuff. Like, there's always more to be buying instead of to be able to just kind of use it. Yeah, just to or like that's why uh, you know like renting a house versus owning a house. Like, I'm in no hurry to buy a house because it's just gonna be never-ending projects. And like, I have projects here at the shop, and they build on a career and they make me money. Or I have projects (laughs) at home, and they do the opposite. They like you can't you can't be working on you can't be working on a home improvement project and go to Lowe's and check out for less than $200. Like it doesn't happen. It's very expensive. Mm, and that's it, true. All your nights and weekends, it's just like this, this thought hanging over your head, like, I should really fix the blah, blah, blah. And like, that's just not something that I feel like I have time for right now. So <laughs> if that's I, true. there's if definitely
1: I, something to be said for like living in a place that you own, that you can make really nice. Like we've oh, been yeah. renting the same place for the past three years and like you know, we're not going to put any effort into making it nicer because it's not ours. It's, yep. It just kind of like has been slowly degrading. And I mean, you know, not like when big things break, like we'll call our landlord, but otherwise, yeah. You know, we're just kind of existing. Uh, yeah. There's always something to be said for that part of owning a house, but I totally know what you mean. There's, yeah, I only have so much time in the day and it's like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be spending my time like retiling the bathroom that's just not interesting to me
0: yeah and it would come with a certain kind of satisfaction of like this is my home uh you know like I uh, made sure. it the way that I wanted it but that's like more intangible I feel like I uh I'm very career oriented I know what I want to do where I want to go and uh having a really homey home is a pretty low priority for me right now so like That'll come later. Uh, I, 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 but Clem
1: would enjoy a nice, a nice house with like a super soft couch and some nice carpet, wouldn't she?
0: She has those. What she would, I think, what would really be nice. We have a backyard now at this apartment, and it's kind of fenced in. Ooh. But she, um, it's not a that fence can't hold her. So like, I could maybe take her off leash and throw something, but I can't leave her unattended there. She would eventually there would be a squirrel and she would weasel her way out and then get hit by a bus or something. So uh, someday I'll have a house with like a really nice impenetrable fence. And then my dog can hang out (laughs) in the yard and keep me safe from all the threats.
1: That'd be cool. It's the dream.
0: Yeah. It's the dream. But uh, no, we just take her on lots of walks now. So that's good.
1: That's what we do too. We don't really have a yard space for him. He just gets big walks.
0: Yeah. Well, oh, man, well, that's, uh, that's my list, and uh, i got to thank you for being a guest, a, an excellent guest on this podcast. <laughs> I've said this before, but uh, i got to get back into the rhythm of it. Um, <laughs> I said that last time, and it's been like two or three months since I did one. So anyway, uh, help, uh, thanks for helping me get back into the swing of this podcast that I do every single week.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I do appreciate it. It was fun. More fun than I expected. You were, you were right.
0: <laughs> it was great. Have a great weekend, man. All right. You too. I'll see you. See you.